All right, good evening. I'm Derek, one of the pastors here at Trinity. And uh, we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter five, uh, 6, excuse me, verses 5 through 18. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 6, 5 through 18. We're continuing in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read our passage and then um, I'm going to pray. So uh, join me. This is Jesus speaking. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, And wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, it is a privilege that we can come to you, into your presence, to give you thanks, to praise you, to confess our sin, to ask you for what we need. We rejoice that you sent your son into the world to lay his life down for us, to cleanse us, to forgive us, to unite us to himself and to bring us to you. And so um, by your spirit today, we pray that through Jesus's teaching, we would learn how to pray, that you would shape us into people who live in dependence on you, who, who come to you with joy, knowing you delight in us. And uh, so just work by your spirit, um, that sort of life in us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So tonight, um, as we continue in our series of um, following Jesus, going through the Sermon on the Mount, looking at what does it mean to be a disciple or an apprentice, we're going to talk about prayer. Um, And prayer, uh, as we just heard in our catechism, uh, sort of providentially today, Uh, is simply pouring out our hearts to God, pouring out what's inside of us, um, coming to God and telling us, uh, telling him about where we're at. And um, that involves thanksgiving, it involves praising God, it means confessing our sin, it means asking for what we need. It's pouring out our very life, uh, our our very interlife to God. 
Um, prayer, then, is two things, really. It is a discipline. It's a, it's a practice. You could say it's a way that we are trained that forms us into maturity. But prayer is also, and probably more fundamentally, it is itself communion with God. That is, um, prayer is how we experience and how we know and how we enjoy God in relationship. Um, now, some of you have, have probably heard, or maybe you do this, uh, of people who are married who have a date night. Have you ever heard of this practice? A date night is uh, a night when uh, a couple decides that because it's so important that they facilitate a healthy relationship, they set aside one day a week or every couple of weeks or something like that, and they say, we are going to go out, just the two of us, and be together uh, for some alone time to talk uh, on a regular basis, and we're not going to let inter anything interfere with that. And you could say that's interesting because if you think about it, it's like this forced time together, and it, we might think of that as sort of intruding on this like authentic relationship. But people recognize like this is an important relationship. It has to be cultivated. We have to set this aside and discipline ourselves to be together and to talk to one another and enjoy one another. And so obviously the date is like a discipline, but of course it's, it's enjoying one another as well. That's the point of it, right? And that's kind of what prayer is. It's, it's both a discipline, something we, we say we must do this regularly, we must train ourselves, um, but also it is the very way that we enjoy God and we come to know him. Um, but, so that's what prayer is, but prayer easily gets distorted um, to something else, doesn't it? Uh, many of us have grown up in communities where prayer and I'm going to include in this um, worshipful singing because that, that's a form of prayer and these things kind of go hand in hand. Um, prayer often has become a performance for us. Um, now, I mean that not in the sense of a good sense, like a discipline, but in this distorted practice that gets aimed at something other than communion with God and becoming like God. Um, now, nobody teaches prayer in this distorted way, not that I know of. Nobody says, you, you know, prayer is a performance. You know, you should do it for these bad reasons. Nobody says that. But the environments uh, that often we've grown up in and the examples that we've seen um, often promote this. You know, how, what do I mean by this? Well, we all agree, you know, prayer is important. We should do it. But it's kind of weird and it's hard, right? Um, we learn that we're supposed to love God. That's obvious. But we don't always feel like we love God. Um, we learn that God is near to us, but it doesn't always seem like that, right? And so, um, frankly, we live with a certain degree of anxiety about prayer. You might be feeling that right now as I'm talking about prayer. It's a little bit of anxiety about, oh boy, prayer. The guilt's coming in, the anxiety. I'm feeling a little anxious, right? Because anxiety, um, it, can, it can kind of, excuse me, prayer can kind of breed anxiety, and it can also flow out of this anxiety. And, and that's what leads to this sort of performative distortion of prayer. And so prayer becomes almost like a spiritually competitive thing that we're doing, where we're doing it to be seen by people, and we're constantly comparing how other people are praying or singing. Um, or maybe we're doing it out of a sense of, I want God to be happy with me, and so we're sort of trying to gain God's acceptance or be heard by him so he would bless us. And so prayer gets distorted um, as it's mixed in with this anxiety that we have. And think about it. This is kind of like, go back to the date night again. Imagine date night functioning like that. You know, you're, you're going on date night so you can post it on Instagram so everyone can see how you go on date night, you know. And everyone's like, wow, this couple's really, they really love each other. They go on date nights. And that's kind of a distortion of the date night, right? Or you, you're going to date night and the whole time you're trying to convince your spouse that they should love you. You know, it's like, well... You know, you're already married. You should you should be chill. Like you're, it's okay. You don't have to perform to get them to like you, right? That's that'd be a distortion of date night. 
similar things happen with prayer. So um, unsurprisingly, I think Jesus is speaking to this sort of dynamic in this passage that we just read. Jesus had been, he's been correcting distortions of God's law, right? Um, all the ways that the law of God had been perverted to justify sinful things or to, to just be misunderstood. And now he's correcting their distortions of piety. And by that, I mean um, spiritual disciplines, practices. And he, he mentions giving, which we'll talk about next week, and praying and fasting. And um, all of these practices are oriented, they're supposed to be oriented towards holiness, towards developing character and godliness, right? Um, but the Pharisees have distorted them because they also are deeply anxious people. <laughs> they're anxious about their status before God. They're anxious about being seen by other people and what people think of them. And Jesus, um, they're even worried about the future. And Jesus specifically names this later on in chapter 6. This anxiety distorts their piety. And so now they are praying to be seen by men. They're, they're praying in such a way that they're trying to gain respect from other people, gain influence. And Jesus says, if you pray that way, um, that will bring its own reward and it's temporary and it's over. Okay, that'll, that'll do something for you, but that's all you're going to get out of it. And he says, um, if you uh, pray to attract God's attention, uh, attention and approval, if that's why you're praying, he says, God sees you and already knows what you need. So don't, don't pray that way. And so Jesus is saying this distorted prayer is not going to be rewarded by God in, the, in that it will not do what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to uh, in, lead you to enjoy God. It's supposed to help you grow into holiness, but it will not do that if you're praying in these ways. And he's teaching us a different way. And we shouldn't miss this. Jesus is having to teach us to pray. <laughs> praying is not a, a something we know how to do naturally in one sense, at least in the proper way. And in teaching us how to pray, he's showing us what prayer is and why we pray. And so I'm not going to today walk through every little part of this passage and explain what Jesus is doing. I, in fact, I just want to kind of zoom out a little bit and look at three basic lessons on prayer from this passage. Um, and so the first lesson I want to start with is this, um, is this. prayer is being with Jesus. Um, okay, quick, kind of a funny story real quick. I think it's funny at least. Maybe I hope it's funny to you. But I had a, uh, two friends in college. They lived down on the end of my freshman hall, uh, Kevin and Mason. I hope this is funny to you. But Kevin comes into his room one day, uh, closes the door. He's at his desk. He's typing away. And like 45 minutes later, the closet of his dorm room opens up and Mason emerges. And Kevin like jumps and he's freaked out because he's like, what, what have you been doing in the closet? And Mason's like, I was praying just like Jesus taught me to do, you know? And, uh, and so that was, a, that was an earnest, you know, attempt to do what Jesus is, is saying here. It's like not make a display of his prayers, but he wanted to get alone in a quiet place and, um, and be with Jesus. Um, I don't know exactly why I said I should say that story. Um, I think it's funny and it's about prayer. So that's, that's something. Okay, so... We're talking about what it means to be a disciple, and I said uh, earlier on in this series that um, the first step of being a disciple is coming to Jesus, and then as you continue as a disciple, you have to be with Jesus. And we saw that early in Jesus's own ministry, in fact, before he goes and starts proclaiming the gospel, what does he do? He goes and he's um, alone in the wilderness. He goes to be uh, in solitude, and he fasts, and he prays. So if Jesus' ministry begins by him getting alone and being with his father, 
that's a good indication that we also need to do that. If we're going to imitate him and follow him, we have to get alone and spend time with God. Now, you might be thinking, all right, um, but isn't God present everywhere? That's a good question. Yes, of course. God is everywhere. He's, he's present. So in one sense, you could say, isn't it impossible not to spend time with God? Because he's, he's all over the place. He's present everywhere. So what do we mean by this when we say um, that prayer involves being with God or being with, with Jesus? Um, it's true that God is near to us, right? It's, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. But in prayer, um, there's something else going on. So maybe rather than saying we should be with Jesus, we should say it a little differently. Prayer is attending to the presence of, of God. Prayer is attending to the presence of God. You know what it's like to be in the presence of people and not attend to their presence, right? Think about when you're in a waiting room. And there's other people there and everyone kind of just ignores each other and because we're there to go to, we don't know each other. I don't really want to talk. I mean, some people are really friendly and they talk to people on planes, for instance, you know, you kind of look forward and pretend like you don't know your neighbor because you don't know them, but you don't want to talk to them. Or maybe you're in your living room and there's a bunch of people there and you're on your cell phone and you're not attending to the presence of other people, right? That's, that's the dynamic that God is always near to us. But prayer is when we, we stop and attend to the fact that he is near to us. And that's what Jesus is teaching us to do. I mean, look at verse 9. It's sort of a simple text here. Jesus teaches us to pray, and he says, you start by addressing God. You say, our Father, right? And throughout the prayer, if you look at the words that he's using, he's, he's saying, you know, hallowed be your name. We're talking to God, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. He goes on further, and he is directly petitioning that, that God would give him, you know, give me this, do this for me, right? It's attending to the presence of God by directly addressing God. Now, you might say that's unremarkable, but I spent some time looking up some Muslim prayers today and, and this week. And it was interesting. I, I'm not saying that none of their prayers do this, but it's interesting that a lot of the Muslim prayers talk about God. Now, they would say they are addressing God, but listen, listen to um, this Muslim prayer. God is the greatest. I testify that there is no God but Allah. I testify that Muhammad is God's prophet. Come to prayer. Or, or another prayer, it says, peace be upon him. Now, some, of, some Christian prayers are that way as well, it's just speaking about God. But I was surprised at how many of the Muslim prayers I looked up don't actually directly address God. They talk about God. And there's something dynamic here that Jesus is teaching us that um, we're attend to the fact we're to attend the, to the fact that God is actually present in our midst and directly address him. That's that's a remarkable thing that he's teaching us to do. So how do we how do we do that? How do we attend to the presence of God? Well there are two dimensions to this. Um, first, uh, usually this is first, not always, but usually we listen. That's the first step. To attend to God's presence is to first take a posture of listening which usually involves listening to God's word in scripture. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, said that the Christian life is a listening life. Christians are people who expect to be spoken to by God. I think that it's so easy to miss how remarkable it is that we are people that believe that God addresses us and speaks to us, and in return, that we can speak back to him. God initiates a relationship with us. He speaks to us. We always have his words in scripture that we can go to, and he always encounters us as we read his word. And then we talk back to him. We pour out our hearts 
to God. We praise him, we give thanks, we make requests, we confess our sins. The psalm shows us that we tell God how we are feeling. Now, for a long time, um, I thought having feelings was weakness. <laughs> that might seem silly to you, but some of you are like, yeah, exactly. But um, I thought having feelings and attending to my feelings was weakness, um, and I would kind of suppress them. I was like, all I wanted to be all in my head. And that is just foreign to what the Bible shows us about what it means to be human. Um, mature, healthy people notice what's going on inside of them, can recognize those feelings, and then directs those to God. Don't let those things, you know, uh, drive us all over the place, right? So, some people have the opposite problem of not wanting to be in their feelings. They're, they're carried away by their feelings. Mature people name their feelings, notice them, and express those to God, right? So attending to God's presence is to listen to him and then to speak to him. Disciples pray by attending to the presence of the triune God. They remember, not just in their head, but in their whole body, that God is with us and that he is near. They listen to what God says. They speak back. They pour out their hearts to God. Now, if you think about it, just step back and stop thinking about prayer for a second. Any healthy relationship, any intimate relationship of love is going to involve this sort of dynamic of attending to the presence of the other person, to listening to what they are saying, really listening, and to pour out who we are to them and to speak back to them. That's fundamental. That's what prayer is. It's being with Jesus, attending to his presence. The second thing I want us to see is that prayer is a means of becoming like Jesus. Now, Jesus teaches us in this prayer to ask for several things. I mean, they're, they're right there in front of you. Give us our daily bread, right? Um, forgive us our debts. Don't let us be overcome by temptation or trial, right? These are direct requests. And so whenever I start talking about prayer, and I've had these questions as well, um, people have asked, um, well, what does prayer really do, though? Jesus says right here in this passage, your father already knows what you need before you ask him. But then he goes on to tell us we're supposed to ask him for things. Well, why? Doesn't God already know everything? Why do we ask? What is the point of prayer? What is it actually doing? Because we all know we ask for things sometimes and God doesn't always give us those things. So what is the point of asking God for things? What's the point of prayer in general? And this question, I think, in part arises or gives rise to that anxiety I mentioned earlier. But think about this for a second. If I asked you, um, what did you do today? You know, what, what was going on today? And you said, oh, I hung out with my best friend um, from many years ago. We've been friends forever and we just spent some time together. And, I, you know, I would never say to you next uh, well, what, what was the point of that? What did it do? I mean, you'd be like, what do you mean? What did it do? I was hanging out with my best friend many years. We love each other. We, we spent some time together. Okay, well, what did it do, though? Like, what was the, what was the point of it? Uh, that makes no sense. It's, it's, a, it's a ridiculous question that fails to map onto the nature of human relationships, right? Hanging out with your close friend is about communion. It's about knowing each other. It's about connecting with one another. Um, and yet, so that's the point, right? But, but that sort of encounter with one another, that's, that time together does change us, doesn't it? And it, it often changes other things in life because when we're together and we're connecting, we often make requests of one another and uh, the other happily obliges. So it, it actually does change things, but that's not necessarily the point of it. Recently, um, Sally and I have been trying to involve our kids in more of our, our work. 
you know, the things that we're doing around the house. Some of you do this really well. Um, and we're trying to do more of this. Recently, it's been cooking uh, more often. And when this goes on, sometimes we'll invite them to make choices about what we're going to do and even make requests about how we're going to go about that. And we're sort of overseeing and directing it, but we, we invite them to make requests as they connect with us and spend time with us and join us in the work we're doing. And honestly, we don't usually need their help. Um, Sally and I are fairly proficient in, in cooking, and we don't necessarily need them to carry off, uh, put on a meal, but we want to spend time with them and connect with them and, and have them join in with us because we want to connect, but also because we want to help them develop. And so participation like that is about connecting, but it's also about developing the, the, the kids. And prayer kind of functions like that. Um, we're connecting with God. We're attending to his presence. We're being with him. He wants us to make requests, and he utilizes those requests in uh, carrying out his will, but also in changing us. Look at verse 9 again. Um, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This... Um, this request, really, it's more of a praise, is, is another way of saying, may you be seen, recognized, and set apart as holy. This is sort of a line of worship right here at the beginning of the prayer. The name of God represents his reputation, and what we're praying when, when we pray like that is, God, we want you to be seen and known for who you are. This is praise, right? You are holy, you are unique, you are pure goodness, and along with the um, the other requests in this prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray this way because God uses those sorts of prayers to change us as well. Particularly this one, that we want you to be seen as holy. We, we want you to be seen as exalted and glorified before all people. That sort of prayer begins to change us and make us into more whole people. God works his purity into us, his wisdom his love. He develops us as we spend time with him and make requests of him. So prayer is not, it's not, an, uh, it's not a means to some other end, like I'm going to get something from God. It's, it's an end in itself. It's being with God. It does change us. God does respond to us and use our prayers to carry out his will. But the biggest changes come in us. And this leads to the third lesson um, that I want to close with, really. Uh, and that's that prayer is in Jesus, and it's to the Father of Jesus. Prayer is in Jesus, and it's to the Father of Jesus. Now, a lot of people feel a lot of guilt about prayer. That's been my experience as I've tried to pray over the course of my life, and as I've talked with people through my pastoral ministry, that a lot of people feel a lot of guilt about prayer. I was just talking to someone uh, just recently about this, whose, whose life in many ways have been characterized by seasons of feeling bad that they weren't talking to God enough. And I, I kind of liken that to the feeling that you get when um, you haven't called your parents in a while, or um, you have that friend that you, you feel like you need to catch up with, but it just keeps not being the right time. And so it gets longer and longer since you've talked to them, and then you feel bad about it, and it makes it even harder to call. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Yeah, I'm not the only one then. Okay, so I feel like prayer functions that way. Um, we feel maybe like the person's disappointed in us. 
We feel the person is a little bit needy. Maybe they're difficult to talk to. And all of those seem to fit with how we feel about prayer and God sometimes. We feel guilty about it. And so I want us to look at how Jesus teaches us to pray because in some ways this is the most important thing we can get out of this prayer. And that's that um, Jesus is teaching us to pray as children to a father who delights in us. So um, we begin the prayer with our father in heaven. And again, that can, that we can just go right by that without grasping how remarkable that is, that we are to pray to God as if God is our father because he is. But more than that, he's a father that delights in us. Now, where am I getting that from? Well, if you go back earlier in Matthew, back in chapter 3, you remember at Jesus' baptism. The heavens open up, Jesus goes through the water, and you hear this voice that says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The father expresses his delight for Jesus the son. I, uh, he's beloved. He uh, is someone in whom I am well pleased. That is how the Father looks at Jesus. And Jesus calls us to pray in the same place from which he can pray. So when, when we pray, we are to pray as people who know that that same delight and belovedness rests upon us, right? The true Son of the Father, the unique, eternally begotten Son of the Father, invites us to pray as adopted children who can know that the Father delights in us. Now, every other religion I've ever seen conceives of prayer merely as a discipline, which is a component of prayer, or as a means of securing God's approval. If we do this enough, we say this enough, we atone for our sins, or we purify ourselves, or we gain the pleasure of God because he sees our devotion, something like that. But Christianity alone views prayer as uh, uh, in the context of grace, of God's gift of his son for us, of God's delight in us apart from anything that we have done. And this is at the heart of Christianity. This is the good news, right? And I was, again, I was talking to someone recently about this, and um, it's, it's so important that we get this. God does not need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need us. He is full of life and joy and love. And so he's not angry and um, frowning at you that you haven't prayed enough. He's okay. <laughs> He'll be fine. He's full of life. And he's so full of life and love and joy that um, this, this dynamic of love and joy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has overflowed in the very uh, act of creation itself. You, you exist because of the overflow of God's fullness of life, love, and joy. And more than that, in the face of our sin against God, in the face of our refusal to embrace God's love and our destruction of his creation and our shaking our fist at God and acting like an enemy, there's this overflow of, law, of love from God and he sends his son, his beloved son, into the world, right? Um, out of love, he sends the son into the world so whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life and believes in him, and then becomes a child of God themselves. That's what makes prayer possible. Of course, God hears everyone's prayers, right? He, he knows all things. He's present everywhere. Um, he's, he's all around us. And so when someone who's not a Christian throws up a prayer, a prayer to God, he hears that, but he hears the prayers of his people in a different way because he hears them as the prayers of his children who have been redeemed and cleansed and adopted 
and he delights in us, and he longs to give us what we need. Through faith in Jesus, we are united to Jesus as beloved children, and so we come to the Father in Christ. We are forgiven and beloved. So if that's not you today, if you're like, I don't believe that, I don't, um, I don't know who this Jesus is, I, I kind of think there might be a God, and, but I'm not sure what I think about all this, I, I want to implore you to be reconciled to God. The way you do that is you have to acknowledge that you are what's wrong with the world, um, that you contribute to the brokenness of the world, that you have offended the one who made you, and that um, brings about God's holy love uh, in anger towards your destructive sin. And um, he sent his son into the world to bear that wrath on your behalf. And if you trust in Jesus then his death is your death and his resurrection is your resurrection into life. And Jesus can bring you into the presence of the father and you can talk to him as your father and he delights in you. Um, but for all of us, we need to recognize that prayer is never to gain God's approval. It is never to get God's blessing or to try to earn his delight. You do not need to feel guilty about your prayer or lack of prayer um, he's always smiling, inviting you in. Come, come talk to me. Come listen what I have to say about who I am and about who you are, right? Um, I love talking with the little kids in our church and, uh, and my kids too. And I love how they will um, sometimes come up to me and they don't quite know how to start a conversation sometimes. And they'll just bring up random things, you know? And uh, it's kind of like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And so you just kind of get on their level and you talk about that. And what they want there is they want to connect with you, right? They just, they want to relate to you. They don't always know how. And you got to remember that's, that's what all of us are like when it comes to coming to God. Is we're kind of just bumbling little children. <laughs> and he delights in us coming to him. He's so happy that we're coming to him and talking to him. And of course, he wants us to grow and mature. And that's why Jesus teaches us how to pray. There's ways to grow in what we're asking for and how we understand God's world and his kingdom and, um, and confessing our sin. He, yes, he wants us to grow into maturity, but there's a sense in which we never stop being these little bumbling children who just come to God and say weird things, and he's just happy we're talking to him. That's how God views you uh, because of Jesus. And so um, I just want to encourage you. The message today is just <laughs> pray like Jesus. Pray like he teaches us to pray. Through faith in Jesus, you have a heavenly father who delights in you. And so don't be anxious about your prayer. Uh, don't, don't worry about whether or not you're saying the right things. Don't worry about whether or not you're praying enough. Just come to him and pray. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to fear. You don't have to be anxious about prayer. God knows and sees and delights in you because he loves you. So four quick, five quick things before I close. First, uh, these are applications. <laughs> First, just do it, all right? I've already said that, basically. Go to your heavenly Father in prayer. He delights in hearing from you. So just do it. Just talk to him anytime you think of it, okay? Um, secondly, pray in secret. Jesus tells us this. Don't let your prayer become a twisted performance. Don't let your prayers be more commonly done in front of others. Let your prayer life be, the bulk of it at least, be in private, where no one knows you're doing it and uh, except God alone. If you find yourself praying more in front of others than alone, 
um, watch out. That's a dangerous place to be. Okay. Thirdly, pray aloud with others. So you should pray with other people and do it out loud. And the reason I say that is that um, sometimes we get so worried about sounding good and impressing people that we don't pray. That's just the other side of the coin, right? The, the Pharisees were praying in all these exuberant ways to get people to approve of them. Well, if you're not praying out loud because you don't want anyone to think negatively of you, it's the same thing. It's just being quiet about it. So don't be afraid to pray out loud with other people. When we pray together and when we pray out loud together, it encourages us all to pray. And we need that encouragement from one another. Um, fourthly, do make a plan. So prayer is in part a discipline. It's a training regimen. Um, Christians have come up with all sorts of ways to do this over the years. Um, many Christians prayed three times a day when they woke up, when they had midday lunch or a meal, and then again uh, before bed. Um, other people get up and do it first thing and have an intentional time of solitude and prayer. It doesn't matter. Come up with a plan and have a, an idea about how you're going to go about it. Sometimes it's helpful to designate a place and even the posture in which you're going to pray. Maybe it'll, um, you need to think about how to stay awake. And so you want to put your body in a position where you'll stay awake, maybe walking or on your knees or sitting. Uh, maybe some of you can lie down while praying, but I can't do that. I'll fall asleep. Um, and then third, what do you pray? All right, don't be anxious about this. We've got a lot of help. Jesus gives us this prayer, all right? You can pray it directly. You can use it as a prompt, right? You can find all sorts of written prayers that Christians have used. You can pray scripture and let that prompt you. You can pray Psalms. You can pray free form. You can use lists. Um, Palmer has a great collection of scriptural prayers you, that, that we've got right here in the back. You can use that. There's all sorts of great ways to guide your prayer time. And so fifthly and lastly, over time, let Scripture shape your prayers. You want to grow in your understanding of who God is. You want to let Scripture shape the way that you're um, crying out to God. It's going to shape your emotional inner life. It's going to shape your actions. It's going to shape your desires, what you think about the kingdom. Let the Word of God shape your prayers. Okay? But as we go to the table, um, this is a great picture of God's delight in you. Right here, we have this picture of Christ giving his body and shedding his blood. He gave his life to forgive us, right? And so God the Father welcomes us into his presence right here. And we come like little children with our hands out. And we say, this is what I need. You know, for, forgive me. Give me your life. Um, give me all your blessings. And he, he says, yes, you're welcome here. This is for you. Believe in me and, and have life. So let's pray together.